Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Good evening, everybody. My name's Simon. I'm one of the team uh, here. And we're going to spend a few minutes in the book of Malachi for no other reason than if you get to heaven and you see him first and you haven't read his book, you will look like a right muppet. So you can be ready this evening. The key verse in Malachi is this one. Then suddenly... The Lord you are seeking will do what? Will come to his temple. The book of Malachi is for all who long for revival. Who's with me? That moment in history when unprecedented numbers turn to Jesus Christ. That moment in history when the whole agenda changes. We think of God transforming our church, but he's getting ready to transform the world. In the words of Duncan Campbell, who was at the heart of the Hebridean revival in 1949, revival is a community, not a church, a community saturated with God. In the Old Testament time of Ezra and Haggai, there had been a great move of God. After the exile, the temple had been restored and the people had been renewed. And it was a wonderfully powerful moment of what God could do with his people. But by Malachi's day, that great move of God was a distant memory. By Malachi's day, worship had become dull and routine. By Malachi's day, the reality of God's presence seemed far away. They were in an in-between time, in between great moves of God. Malachi's generation was a generation who had heard all about what God could do, but had not experienced it for themselves. A generation that heard of all that God had done, but that hadn't seen it in their day. I grew up in South Wales during a time like this, and in between time. In South Wales, right across the valleys, in every small village, is at least one, two, three, sometimes maybe four churches, big enough to be cathedrals. A constant reminder that God had done something utterly remarkable there. But now that reality was far gone. Huge church buildings with just a cluster of generally older people clinging on to memories of how great it had been. Preaching in many of these churches as a teenager, I grew up with a sense of longing. The longing that Habakkuk expressed, another book you ought to read just in case you know. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've heard all about you. I've I've heard of all that you can do. And I've heard about it. And honestly, I stand in awe 
at all that you can do. But please renew them in our day, in my day. Renew them in our time, in my time, in my generation. Lord, please make them known. Just like Hosea, he will restore us. He will revive us that we may live in his presence or the confidence of the psalmist. Will you not revive us again that we may, your people may rejoice in you? That question pregnant with the answer, yes, yes, yes. We are all, my dear friends, in an in-between time. We've heard about the magnificent ways that our God can move. But unless we've spent significant time in other parts of the world, for us, they are outside of our experience. But suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will, will come to his temple. Just over a hundred years ago, 250 miles from here, something quite astonishing happened. The fire of God fell. Within days, hundreds of people had given their lives to Jesus Christ. Conservative estimates suggest that within six months, 150,000 people had given their lives to Jesus Christ. That's more than the population of Ipswich. Reading the newspaper, this is a newspaper report. This is the, the ram's horn. It's their version of the Ipswich Star. Imagine the Ipswich Star writing like this. A wonderful revival is sweeping over Wales. The whole country from city to the colliery underground is aflame with the gospel of glory. Police courts are hardly necessary. Public houses are being deserted. Old debts are being paid to satisfy awakened consciences. And definite, remember this is like the evening, the Ipswich Star, and definite and unthinkable answers to prayer are being recorded. A community saturated with God. So many testimonies. Public houses became almost empty. Men and women who used to waste their money getting drunk were now saving it, giving it to help their church and buying clothes and food for their families. And not only drunkenness, but stealing and other offences grew less and less, so that often a magistrate turned up at court and there were no cases for them to hear. This bit's funny. Men who used filthy language could no longer get their ponies in the pits to obey them. <laughs> Giddy up, Molly. Come on, there's a good girl. Move your bleep, 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 bleep. Oh, they only knew those words. Such was the move of God. The dark tunnels underground in the mines echoed with the sounds of prayers and hymns instead of oaths and nasty jokes and gossip. Big, strong men, hard as nails, would stand at the pithead and sing, Here is love. Fast as the ocean, loving kindness. You're going to leave me hanging, aren't you? It's a flood when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. 
His love will not remember. Who can cease to sing His praise? He can never be forgotten. Throughout hands, eternal days. May the church of Ipswich be seeking a revival like that. The first Pentecost and every outpouring of the Spirit that kept the early church alive was birthed out of a seeking, a yearning, a dependence. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That's the backdrop of every Christian revival and the stories ever since. God, John Wesley famously says, does nothing redemptively in the world except through... Who remembers every day with Jesus? Yeah, you're that old as well. Bless you. (laughs) Selwyn Hughes wrote every day with Jesus and he wrote every revival in history, Pentecost included, began in heaven but flowed into the church across the ramp of intercessory prayer. In September 1857, one year after this church began, but a long way from here, a Dutch man of prayer by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear started a prayer meeting in Manhattan. He advertised it across the city of a million people. Six showed up. Who's had an event like that in their church? (laughs) The next week, there were 14, then 23, and they decided to meet every day. By the end of winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church. By March, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled. Apparently, Horace Greeley, the famous editor, I'd never heard of him, sent a report with horse and buggy, racing around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he got to 12 meetings and counted 6,100 men. Then, a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed into the churches in the evenings. People began to get converted 10,000 a week in New York City alone. That's the whole of Ipswich in three months. The movement spread throughout New England with church bells calling people to prayer at 8, noon and 6. Who's got church bells? Get your church bells team back on it. We're going to need them. A young man of 21, after being in New York, returned to his home in Philadelphia and obtained permission to hold a prayer meeting in a room during November 1857. After three months, the average attendance was only 12. We've all been there. They kept going. Suddenly, a month later, a wave of revival poured over the city and 6,000 were meeting every noon for prayer. In the capital of Washington, five daily prayer meetings were launched and thousands were attending. Prayer was at the heart of all that was happening. The result? The estimate is that there were not less than 50,000 conversions every week during the winter of 57-58, Within a two-year period, one million people had come to Christ. It was said of certain New England towns that not one single unconverted adult could be found. 
But as you may know, it soon came to Britain. As news of what was happening reached us, little groups of prayer warriors sprang up through the whole of the UK. Spurgeon talked about it being a spirit of prayer visiting our churches. This prayer gave birth to a revived church here in our land. The great historian Edwin Orr writes, as a consequence, one million people were converted in the UK during 1860. As tongues of fire descended on rising young evangelicals, well-known figures like Lord Shaftesbury, Richard Weaver, Dr. Eugene Stock, George Muller, William and Catherine Booth were either involved or products of this awakening. Major London theatres were taken over for regular preaching as the churches and cathedrals could not accommodate all those who wished to attend. The Lord's, the London response to the Spirit's work was preceded by 200 daily prayer gatherings throughout the capital. Halls were densely packed for nothing but simple prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. That's why we get excited when we begin to see glimpses of a momentum of prayer. It is our privilege as a church to pray with Ipswich International Church for three weeks at the beginning of the year. We share a Daniel fast together. And since then, they have been praying every single day at six o'clock. And when I hear of that kind of momentum, it stirs my heart. When I see on Twitter and wherever you look for your social media, hope gathering with thousands around the country, around the world on a Friday evening to gather with a momentum of prayer, it should thrill our hearts. We've just been praying 24-7 in our 24-7 prayer room, joining with the 24-7 prayer movement that hasn't stopped praying for over 20 years. And they did that in honor of the Moravians that didn't stop praying for a 100 years. God is up to something right under our nose. And I have no doubt there are great stories in all of our churches here too. Who's with me? Honest though. These stories can make us feel a bit inadequate, can't they? Who has ever found it hard to maintain a rhythm of prayer? Or you can be honest, this is an honest place. Two of you are honest, the rest of you are lying. (laughs) Prayer is not often the powerhouse, it's more the outhouse, isn't it? Do you know? You know, we can be so busy chatting, singing, let's pray. No, no, I mean out loud. It can kill us. And disappointment quickly sets in honest. Hands up if you've ever been disappointed with prayer. Oh, that slight increase in honesty in the room, but most of you are still really blagging it this evening. You see, we're we're not sure. We know God did it before, but that was then. And this is now. That was there, but this is here. I know I believe God can, but do I believe He will? And we have a crisis of faith. Is God really with us like He was with them? Is He really? Does He love us like He loved them. Yes. Malachi totally gets it. 
he, he begins with this oracle from the Lord. I have loved you. You're in an in-between time. You haven't experienced what revival is like. You've only heard about it. And you're wondering whether I love you like I love them. Listen, here, people of Ipswich, the church of God. Yes, I love you. They needed to hear it. But God loved them in Malachi's day just as much as he loved them in Ezra and Haggai's day. And we need to hear it that God loves us just as much as he did those people in South Wales a hundred years ago. Or just as much as he did the Christians in England a hundred and fifty years ago. Or the Ulster revival around the same time. Or the Hebridean revival 70 years ago. Or in China or Nagaland or anywhere else in the world right now where revival is taking place. Get this into your heart and into your spirit. The God of heaven says, I I love you. I love you, Church of Ipswich. I love your town of Ipswich. And nothing, you've heard this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So what then? What then shall we say? If God is for us, then who? Who? Who can be against us? Could God ever move in Ipswich in revival-type ways? Could God ever do that in your church and mine? It's just as unlikely for God to move in your church as it was with grotty mining villagers in South Wales. And hard coal miners thousands of feet below the earth would gather together during their food breaks. Not to eat, but to pray and read the scriptures aloud. Some would even gather at the pithead an hour before work in order to sing that hymn and pray. Often the manager and officials of the mine would join in. That's what it meant for them. What would it mean for us? Imagine the power of God sweeping through the hospital and the health service. Imagine the power of God blasting through a dastral park. Imagine the power of God in your workplace, in your school, in your factory. Imagine a mighty move of God in the university. As you dream of God transforming Ipswich, what do you think about? Share that with the person next to you out loud right now. As you dream of God transforming Ipswich, what do you think about? Go. May the church of Ipswich be confident. May the church of Ipswich be confident. But here's the rub. If I'm honest with you, will you still like me? No, thanks for saying nothing. Just leaving me hanging. You can be all alone in a crowd. The book of Malachi is a call to return to God. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. May the church 
of Ipswich be holy. Be holy. Holiness is always necessary for the work of God. Always. The Bible is consistently clear. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and because what will happen without holiness? You got that? Make every effort. Give your heart and life to it. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Selwyn Hughes again. Every great move of God since Pentecost has contained this impressive ingredient. It's probably true to say that the very first evidence that revival is present is when men and women are gripped by a heightened sense of God's awesomeness and holiness. Conduct that hitherto appeared respectable now seems unbelievably wicked. Prejudices that characterized professing Christians for years are seen as grievous sins. Private indulgences upon which people have looked with favor suddenly seem to merit all the wrath of God. Prayerlessness, ignorance of scripture, sins of omission, pride, self-centered living, long forgotten sins against members of the body of Christ. Words carelessly spoken, no longer defended by a myriad of excuses, but are laid open before God. People who thought themselves worthy of heaven. Stand amazed that they are not in hell. Same with every story of revival. The Welsh revival characterized by the most, I quote, remarkable confessions of sin. Jonathan Edwards spoke that really popular sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's a catchy title for your next week's bulletin. But when people were so convicted by the reality of their sin, it says they clung to trees for fear that they would be sweeped into hell itself. A beautiful description from the East African revival. Under the purging flame of the Holy Spirit, Christians were melted and broken before God, resulting in a renewal of zeal and deeper fellowship between believers. And so many repented that pagans were afraid to walk up our hill. It's like saying pagans were afraid to walk by our church for fear that God would take hold of them. Hallelujah. Holiness is an essential mark of the moving of God. And that's what lies at the heart of this book of Malachi. They would have to get serious about their worship. It's all there, verses 6 to 14 in chapter 1. In fact, they were just casually going about their stuff. And what does God say? He says, for goodness sake, shut the door, somebody. Because you're lighting useless fires. What's our equivalent of a useless fire? I don't like that song, so I'm not going to sing. I don't like that liturgy, so I'm not going to come. I don't like that preacher, so I'm not going to listen. Something about not bringing our whole selves great what Jerry said right at the beginning, wasn't it? To set us up that challenge. Are we in it? I love you, Lord. I wonder if those trainers are still on Depop. Most of you don't know what Depop is. That shows the age of this congregation. (laughs) 
When will we bring our whole selves, all that we are, to the worship of God? When worship is a show or a sham, we're lighting useless fires. And God says, just unplug that amp for goodness sake. Verse 14 is particularly scary if you've got it open in front of you. It says that if you can and you don't, even the people of God are under a curse. Get serious about worship. Get serious about leadership. He gives a right whack to the leaders. A cry for leaders of integrity, of humility, of passion, of righteousness and hunger. The church of Jesus Christ deserves no less from its leaders. Get serious about relationships. Relationships, especially marriage and family. Judah has been unfaithful. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Again and again, the people of God lost their way because their sons and daughters married outside of the faith. I still do not understand why the Western church takes this biblical mandate so casually. You may know churches that have been decimated because our sons and daughters have married people of other faiths and none. Now it's getting tense in the room, isn't it? And you're not sure you're going to love me still. And you're glad you didn't promise still to be my friend. But honestly, honestly, I want, I want you to hear my, my heart. Oh, this, this is so important. This is, this is a grace-filled place. This is, there's no condemnation here. No, not, not one jot of it. This is, this is a place for the grace of Jesus. Are you with me? And we've all sinned. And we need his forgiveness. Who's in? That's me. We have all been sinned against and need his healing. You with me? We are all the same. But honestly, we need to sound a clarion call for our sons and daughters. Honestly. We need to blow a new trumpet, to sing a new song, to make a new stand for them. Honestly, my friends. You see, my generation is in danger of not looking that different to the world outside. My generation is in danger of losing its saltiness. And don't read what happens to salt that loses its saltiness. Jesus has a thing or two to say. But for our sons and daughters, please God, you with me? We're going we're gonna to lead a different way, aren't we? We're going to stand for different things. We say, this is the day of the Lord's truth and life in our hearts. And we're going to let our sons and daughters stand on our shoulders. And they're going to start where we finished off. And they're going to go way further than we go, aren't they? Isn't that the cry of your heart? So we have to sound a clear call, my friends. Come, Jesus. Rescue us from our mediocrity from our apathy, from our casualness. Help us to sound a clear gospel call for the generations that are coming. May they see what we have longed to see, but maybe never see. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. 
And so Malachi's on an absolute roll. He's going, sort out your worship and sort out your leadership and sort out your relationships. It's all there. Honor God by the partner that you choose. Honor God by being faithful in all your relationships. It's all there in chapter 2. And then he says, get serious about generosity. Just when we're... Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Uh, Don't ask God a question if you're not sure of the answer, will you? That's a fatal mistake here. What do you mean, God, we're robbing you? In tithes and offerings. What? If we don't give our tithes and offerings, are we robbing God? But that's my money. No. It's not your money. Sorry if you heard that here first. Not just 10%, 90%. Do you know none of it's yours? You see, the tithe, the tithe for 10% is not because God needs your money. He's seen your bank account. He doesn't need that. He doesn't go, oh my goodness, I'm a bit short at the end of the month. If only John will give me a bit of his tithe. I don't know where I'm going to get, how am I going to make ends meet? He does not need it. But absolutely, we need to give it. Because it's a declaration of our hearts. Not just that little bit, but all of it's God's. But I earned that. I worked. No, God gives you the ability to do all that. Check that out in Deuteronomy. And it wasn't about money, really, anyway. When they gave their tithe, it was the labor of their hands. It was the time that they'd given, the energy that they'd offset, the skills that they'd put into practice on their land or wherever it was. It was just a way of saying, it's all his. Every last bit of it. And Malachi just says, hey, and while you're at it, while you're sorting things out, get serious about generosity. You see, the call on our lives is to live a glorious faith that is a take-up-your-cross kind of faith, not a skip-in-the-daisy-fields kind of faith. You with me? Resilience, courage, boldness, sacrifice, laying it all down. You will lose everything, but you will gain So much more. Then. Notice how that key verse begins. Then, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Then, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So finally, my dear friends, may the church of Ipswich be personal. And what I mean by this, may, may we take personal responsibility. It's easy to sit in your church and think, gosh, if everyone worshipped like me, we'd be well away. If everyone loved Jesus like I do, we'd be a great church. If everyone gave like, oh, what a fantastic church. If everyone was a swinging from a chandelier, charismatic like me, what a great church we would be. If everyone reads the Bible like me and believes it in the way I do, we would be a great church. You cannot change your church. Give up trying. Some of you, maybe this is a prophetic word, some of you have been trying to change your church for a decade or more. Hear it. You've been trying to, you cannot change your church. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you can change you. If you change, your church will change. Who's with me? Who's with me? That's it. Personal responsibility. Me first. My faith. My holiness. My relationships. My leadership. My generosity. But for you, who reveres my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. I'm done, really. What's this the picture of? Burlington. That's what I thought when I first saw it. I thought, gosh, that's a picture of our church in the early days. And when I saw the inside, I thought even more, gosh, that's our church. So understand me, that could be your church. I mean, we're a flat-packed Baptist Ikea church. And some of you are a flat-packed Church of England type church. And some of you are just a weird kind of factory kind of construction flat-packed kind of church. An ordinary church in an ordinary street. This was an ordinary guy. In fact, he was pretty uneducated, they tell us. He was a preacher but he couldn't preach. Have you met some of those? Some of you laughed way too much at that moment. This is Mariah Lucker, the man, Evan Roberts. If a mighty move of God can start in an inconsequential church with an uneducated, ordinary kind of guy then maybe it can start in your church with you. Maybe it already has. He nearly didn't survive, Evan Roberts. An explosion down deep under mine frequently killed many people. He would tuck his Bible into the side of the kind of um, mining wall so that he could snatch it just ever so quickly in a quick break to read from its pages. In the explosion that he narrowly escaped with his life, his Bible was scorched open. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7, where Solomon prays for revival. And we read these words. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There it is again. Then, then I will hear. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. God bless you.